I grew up in the Uniting Church uh, and a godly and caring husband and wife who really impacted me were this couple, Cyril and Elsie German. Cyril was the pastor of the church during my primary and early teenage years. Uh, They've both gone to be with the Lord now. But I remember with thankfulness to God, their love for God and his people, their hospitality, their care, their godly character. Also loved patting Elsie's black Labrador guide dog too, as someone who loves animals. My dad actually became a Christian uh, through Cyril's friendship uh, and his words and witness. And by his life, his love, his teaching, Cyril was actually the first one who inspired me to consider being a pastor one day. I'm truly grateful for their example. Who are the godly examples that you've looked up to? Who are the people that you've wanted to follow in your life? Who has given you a godly example of Christ-likeness? Someone who is worth imitating. Today we read of two men whose examples are worth imitating. This section of Philippians 2 is more than just about Paul's travel plans. If you were here and if you remember chapter 2 verses 1 to 11, they were really about humility and service and Christ was given as the ultimate example of those things. Jesus' humility and service and willingness to suffer for our salvation was outlined for us. And last week we heard how Paul poured himself out. He poured himself out for the Philippians. In chapter 3, he'll actually ask them to imitate him. But here now, two men are given as examples of Christ's likeness, examples worth following. And the first is Timothy. Timothy was Paul's closest co-worker, like a son to him, as he says. And Paul's, he was Paul's deputy on many a mission, many a mission to, uh, to places including Corinth and Ephesus and Macedonia, Philippi, and more. Remember Paul's imprisoned in Rome? And he hopes, if the Lord wills, to send Timothy to the Philippians soon. And no doubt to encourage them, but also to bring back to him, Paul in prison, to bring back uh, news that will encourage Paul also. News about the Philippians' perseverance and, and their progress in the faith. But Paul wouldn't want Timothy to stay too long, though, because he's relied, Paul has relied upon him for support. In fact, in verse 23, he says he can't send Tim yet. He needs to wait and see how things go with him, and we don't know what was happening there. But let's focus on what Paul says about Timothy in verse 20. I have no one else like-minded. Literally, it's one-souled. We might say that they were kindred spirits, knit together in heart and mind, committed to each other and to the Lord. And it was like a spiritual and super close father-son relationship. So why send him? Because Paul had no one else like him. He will genuinely care about your interests, your welfare, your good. You see, with Tim, there's no fake facade of caring. It's genuine. It's authentic. 
He looks out for and seeks the interests of others. He is selfless in his care for others, unlike nearly all people. Unlike those selfish preachers back in chapter 1, verse 17. I think we can all struggle with self-centeredness. And Paul is saying that Timothy is a standout in his selfless, other-person-centeredness. Standout in his care and in saying no to himself. And notice too how caring about others, verse 20, it's paralleled with caring about the interests of Jesus, Jesus Christ, verse 21. If we care about Christ, we'll care about others because Christ cares about others. So I ask, how are you going at that? How are you going at that? What you do with your, what do your words What do your actions, what are your behaviours, what does your life say about who you care for most? Yourself? Or is it the Lord and is it others? Who do you care for, care about most? I think when we consider Timothy's care of Paul and for the Philippians, it says something about the friend that he was. Friends genuinely care about each other. The great Australian poet Henry Lawson once said, the greatest pleasure I've ever known was when my eyes met the eyes of a mate across two foaming glasses of beer. Perhaps Lawson should have got out more. Maybe he didn't have many good friends. But but he recognised, doesn't he, that mates and friendship are really important. They change our perspective. Friends make life a bit easier. Some university, uh, University of Virginia researchers, they were studying friendship and they took a group of students to the base of a very steep hill. I couldn't find a steeper hill. So that's what you've got in the picture. But imagine the base of a very steep hill. The group is divided up. Some stood next to a friend. Others stood at the base of this steep hill alone. And each was asked to estimate how steep the hill was. The student standing with a friend thought the hill looked less steep. The longer they had known the friend, the lower the estimate of the steepness. Friendship makes life easier. Speaker and pastor Carl Fays asks, sorry, he says, ask a group of men who their friends are and silence may fall as they realise they have very few friends. And men, we blame our work, our family, our stress. And, and yet Carl Faye suggests often it is that we're not open and we don't listen or we don't trust others because we're too competitive and too proud and not looking out for the interests of others. Maybe that's something that gives you food for thought. Let's come back to our passage, verse 22, which says more about Timothy, particularly about his character and service. Timothy, remember, co-authored this letter. He helped Paul to evangelize and plant the church in Philippi. And Paul says, you know his proven character. He's He's tested and demonstrated godly character. 
Tim was only in about his mid-30s, but he's been educated in the school of hard knocks, may we say, the school of hard ministry knocks, and he's passed with spiritual scars remaining, no doubt. His Christ-like character was seen in his service. Paul says he served with me in gospel ministry, but literally it is he slaved with me. And do you remember back in verse 7 how Jesus Christ, we're told, took the form of a servant, but literally it was a slave obeying the Father. Jesus gave up all his rights. He gave up his dignity to be strung up on a cross to die in our place, to forgive our sins, to reconcile us to God, to reconcile all who will place their trust in him and surrender to him as Lord. Have you done that? And so Jesus served selflessly as a slave And so Paul and Timothy now do too, and as we are to do. We read Jesus say earlier in John chapter 15, love one another as I have loved you. Jesus served. Paul and Tim served. And we who follow Jesus are to serve. Paul and Tim slaved selflessly to help others hear the gospel of Jesus and to follow him as Lord with loyalty and with care and with commitment. And that focus remains, and we want it to remain our focus at this church at Bundy. We are committed to helping people be saved and follow Jesus as Lord. And as I reflect on our church in so many ways we serve together in gospel ministry i think of the serving together in get some fun our kids holiday program in january or maybe you with your fellow growth group leader or or you all even now not in this room some are serving together in teaching children in sunday school those who serve together in youth ministry and kids ministry and play group and mainly music and more And even when you serve in the kitchen or on the welcoming team or the cleaning team or in AV or on the board of management, you support the gospel ministry that our church is committed to. And your service gives a great example to others. I pray that you will serve with endurance and joy and Christ-like character. And so Paul wants to visit the Philippians and he's confident that the Lord will free him from prison soon, verse 24, and enable that. But he can't go now and he says he can't send Tim just yet, but he is sending Epaphroditus to them now. Likely he's sending him with the letter that they're reading. And that brings us to Epaphroditus. Let's think about him. What does Paul say about him and his example? Paul describes Epaphroditus as my brother, co-worker, fellow soldier. As a co-worker or fellow worker, he was a companion in gospel work. So working with 
Paul, presumably in teaching, discipling, and encouraging others in the ministry of the word, or through the ministry of the word. And fellow soldiers suggest that he's been through trials, suffering in ministry, and, and he's persevered. His ministry is hard. Epaphroditus, or Epaph, as I'll call him, we Australians like to shorten our names, Clinton, Clint, Epaphroditus, Epaph. He gives us an example of self-sacrificing commitment to service. I mean, look at verse 30. He, he came close to death for the work of Christ. He risked his life for Jesus and the gospel and to serve Paul. He was willing to risk his life to serve Jesus and others. Remember, Epaphroditus was the representative sent from the Philippians with their financial gifts to help Paul in prison and meet his needs and support him. And that's exactly what he has done. He's ministered to Paul and his needs. Actually reminds me of the ministry of deacons, meeting people's practical needs, supporting them in hardship. But in addition to Epaph's faithful service, Paul highlights his care. Epaph really cares about the Philippian brothers and his Philippian brothers and sisters. In fact, verse 26, he longs for them. He, he misses them. Maybe he was deeply homesick. And when he was sick, so sick he nearly died, Epaph was concerned when he knew his church family were worrying about him. Do you see that? He's even distressed. Work him in anxious that, he, that they're worrying about him when he's nearly dying. So they're worrying about him, and so he worries. Just a comment here about anxiety. Epaph really cares about Paul and his church family, and he feels deeply for them. If he's a person who feels deeply for others, he empathizes. Maybe that's like you. It's good to care and to empathize and to mourn with those who mourn. People who care about others are a great example. But in chapter 4, verse 6, we'll see in a few weeks, Paul says, do not worry or be anxious about anything. And yet what we've seen in our passage read today is actually three people who were anxious in a good sense, in that they cared for and were concerned about others. So Timothy, verse 20, cared about the Philippians, and that can mean that he was emotionally weighed down by or, or even anxious about them. Epaphroditus was distressed, which can be translated as anxious, concerned, he's feeling deeply for others and how they're going. And then we have Paul who in, says in verse 28 that he's sending a path back to Philippi so I may be less anxious. Paul was concerned for the Philippians about how they're going and so he'll send a path back to them for their encouragement and their nurture. The Philippians need role models. and Paul and Timothy are those, but they're 1,400 kilometers away and so he'll send a path back to them, a godly leader and servant. My point is not all anxiety is bad. And we'll come to that, so think about that more in a few weeks. But for now, coming back to the idea of care, 
we see that Paul also cared about Epaphroditus and actually God cared about them both. Verse 27, Epaph was so sick he nearly died and if he had died, Paul would have experienced, he says, deep sorrow. He says it would have meant great grief, pain. And that's what happens, doesn't it, when someone you love and care about dies. Paul really cared about Epaph and it would have been overwhelming if he lost him. And yet God showed mercy to Epaph and to Paul in saving his life. In a sense, Paul loses Epaph anyway as he sends him back to Philippi because Paul cares about the Philippians. He seeks their good. He wants them to be able to rejoice in having their godly gospel worker back. And he hopes that they will honour Epaphroditus for his service. I want to make an extra comment though on verse 27. Because maybe when you read that you think, God didn't heal and restore my loved one. Why didn't God show mercy and help me? I did go through sorrow upon sorrow. Does it mean that God doesn't care? They're really big questions. And yet I hope you will remember, I hope you will believe that God does care. He promises that he cares, like in 1 Peter chapter 5. It requires faith to trust God when we don't get what we feel we need or what we long for. I remind you too of what we saw back in chapter 1, verse 23, that for the Christian to depart and be with Christ, it's better by far. It is to, to die for the Christian is gain. And if you lose a loved one, God is powerful and compassionate to meet you in your need and show you mercy even in that. He's powerful and compassionate to comfort you in your sorrow and to use your pain to grow your faith and your hope and your love. And so God's care will always bring about good in the lives of his people, even through sorrow. And maybe you're being tested now in a difficult trial. Remember that God always has loving purposes in his dealings with us. No trial need ever be wasted. God seeks to conform us to the likeness of Christ and even to prepare us for future ministry. You see, the school of discipleship always includes demanding assignments. If you're a student getting to pick your subjects next semester, please know that for every Christian, trials in our lives are non-elective courses. And when God tests us, it is for our good and our growth, or it's good for others, as he'll use us in the lives of others, or he's preparing us for what lies ahead. And when you doubt these things, if you're struggling to believe it, that God cares, please remember that unlike Epaphroditus who risked his life, our Lord Jesus gave his life 
Jesus gave up and sacrificed his life to save you. And so there's no greater care than what Jesus has shown you and I. So the passage is filled with people caring about others first. And you and I are to care about others first too. Final points and application is you. We've seen Timothy and Epaphroditus caring about others and their interests and, and serving, and that's an example for us to follow. It should make us all ask, am I caring about others' interests or am I seeking my own? And how am I putting the interests of others before myself? What does it look like for me to care and to serve in, in my attitudes and my actions? and in your circumstances at the moment. It will look differently for each of us. Can I say firstly that I understand that many of us are feeling weary, some at capacity, some are even overwhelmed. And I'm not wanting to ask you, I'm not asking you to just always do more, always keep pushing. I'm not wanting to guilt or pressure you into serving Nor am I saying never rest, don't care for yourself, so you get burnt out. We're not wanting that. And yet it is good and right for us to ask, how am I going at caring about the interests of others? I think most of us are tired. I'm tired. R. Kent Hughes has written this book, The Disciplines of a Godly Man, And he says that the world is run by tired people. The Christian world is ministered to by tired people. The world is being evangelized by tired missionaries. And show me a great church and I will show you some tired people, both up front and behind the scenes. And then he says, men, because it's a book to men. Men, we have to understand that we will never do great things for God without the willingness to extend ourselves for the sake of the gospel, even when we are bone tired. And yet serving and caring doesn't mean that you always have to do more. It could just mean a new approach to what you do now. A new approach to even one conversation or or one person after church. A few years ago, Felicity Leslie is a woman from Sydney. She wrote about how to love and serve if you're shy, socially nervous, introverted or a sinner, which I think applies to all of us. She helpfully says, learn about others and act on what you learn. Talking about the weekend, a movie or the weather is fine and good, truly it is. But how well do you know one another at church, that is? Is the person you spoke to enjoying or struggling with their work? Are they feeling overwhelmed by a family responsibility? Are they feeling thankful? Are they caring for an elderly parent? If your friend mentions that they have a medical appointment, you can show better care by asking if they are okay rather than asking what their medical concern is. And if things are particularly hard and you have capacity, you could offer to make a meal or take their kids for an hour or pick up some groceries or something else. Of course, some people are more private than others, but asking open-ended questions like how is work or how do you find being at home with the kids... It allows the other person to dictate how much detail is revealed. 
if you follow up with them the next week, they will feel thankful for your concern and your interests. And if you intend on praying for them, then say so. Felicity says, not long ago, I I had some surgery. And I was so thankful for the friends who texted both my husband and me to ask after us and let us know they were praying. This was highly meaningful and made me and all my family feel cared for as much as we needed and massively appreciated the practical help with meals and the kids, knowing that people stopped and brought me and my family by name before our Father in heaven, advocating on our behalf, was an astounding thought. What a privilege to be the recipient of this. It's like what many of us are going to be considering in our growth groups next term when we have a look at a series of studies based on this book. Side by side, walking with others in wisdom and love by Ed Welch. In Philippians 2, we've seen the apostle highlighting others' strengths and service. And those words of appreciation would no doubt have encouraged Timothy and Epaphroditus. Felicity, in her article, actually asks, how often do you go at thanking others? How often do you find yourself thanking other people? Maybe your Bible study leader or the person who spent time preparing the corporate prayers on Sunday or the Sunday school leaders or those on morning tea or music or welcoming, the list goes on. She says, is there someone in your Bible study who's always the organizer or the ever-present encourager or regularly doing the washing up? Do you thank them with sincerity for the ways that they serve? Being thankful is a way that we can show care. We've been saved to serve God and others. That's true for us. And if you're a parent, it's true for our children. So how can we model and encourage our children in their serving? I ask, what is your earliest memory of serving in a church? A woman called Louise writes that she asked about eight different people from eight different backgrounds and got a huge range of answers. Those converted later in life remember joining music or hospitality teams as their first steps into ministry. Those who grew up in the church remember serving from a very young age. One... Uh, One remembers doing welcoming with her parents, another helping her mum in kids' church during the holidays. Just last week at morning church, I saw one of our year, year six boys putting out chairs and I asked him rather jokingly, are you on the set up and pack up team now? And he answered me with a crooked, crooked smile, well, I'm going to do it someday, so I may as well begin now. And Louise says, he put me back in my place. In recent weeks at Bundy, I've seen children helping with vacuuming and mopping floors. And it's fantastic. If you have kids, ask them where they'd like to serve. Talk with them about how they can serve others at church. How they can serve when they're up in Sunday school. It's been a great blessing at our church having young people serve in the kitchen and in 
welcoming and cleaning and at the AV desk and music and more. Timothy and Epaphroditus were wonderful examples of care and character and service. They are great examples to follow. Maybe there's other examples that we can look to and follow. For me, it was that couple, Cyril and Elsie. Who is it for you? For Jesus' sake, will you care about the interests of others? Will you genuinely care for others' interests? Will you serve others and the Lord who first served you? Let's pray. Father God, we give you thanks and praise for godly examples in Scripture like Paul, Epaphroditus, Timothy. Thank you for godly examples that others have been to us in our lives as Christians. And Lord, we pray if they're still alive that you might sustain them in living godly, servant-hearted, other person-centered lives. We pray, Lord, that you'd make us more like them, more like the Lord Jesus. Please forgive us for our sin and our selfishness. Turn us away from self-centeredness and strengthen us to love and serve others with all the strength that you give. Not always, Lord, as we've heard, by doing more, but by loving the people that we speak with and relate with, maybe with different priorities, a different perspective, by making the most of our opportunities for conversation. Grow our love for one another in this church and make us a Christ-honouring, servant-hearted community for the glory of Christ. Amen.